Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the voice that read them. God, we thank you for the fact that your word reminds us of who you are. And we thank you for the fact that you have given us your word so that we wouldn't stumble around in the dark wondering who you are and what you value and what you love. God, I pray for us today as we examine Abraham and his life, that it would teach us more about who you are and that we would seek to align our lives to the pattern of Abraham as he aligned his life to you. God, that as we examine your word, that we would be compelled and pushed towards glorifying you and seeing that as our greatest good above all else and that you would increase our joy in that. I pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. Take care of us. Give us everything we need today. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the glory. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of the Father. Amen. Well, good morning. You guys look great. You knew it was coming. Um, well, I'm Kyle Fisher. I'm on staff here at White Rock uh, Fellowship as an associate pastor. I want to welcome you here today. Say happy 4th of July weekend. Kids, welcome to the service. So if you see Miss Courtney out there, give her a hug. Tell her thank you. She's the one that's provided the awesome handouts for you. Um, they should follow along with the sermon today. So a few weeks ago, uh, we celebrated. I'm sure we all had it marked on our calendars. It was a big celebration, the summer solstice, right? No? Okay. So the summer solstice is uh, the longest uh, day of the year. It has the most daylight. It's because the sun is tilted uh, closest towards the, uh, the earth is tilted closest towards the sun on that day. And with the increased daylight, uh, in many ways comes the heightened heat, uh, which I'm sure you guys can all tell uh, here recently, especially this past week. Now, as hot as this past week has been, I still would take the summer over last summer, uh, in large part because last summer it just kind of felt like you're just waiting for the inevitable giving out of your air conditioner and it would just consign you to just sweating in your home. You may be experiencing that this year. I'm, I'm sorry if that's the case. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so for a lot of us, four or five o'clock rolls around, we go home, the AC's been running all day, and no matter how many times you, you set your thermostat in faith, believing that it will keep up. Your AC, if you live in like an older home like me, just can't keep up, right? So it's like 79, 80 degrees in your house. A- air conditioner has been running all day. And it feels like the only way you can actually beat the heat is to go jump in the pool. Now, kids, how many of you guys love the pool? All right, you can actually say yes. You can scream yes if you want to. Nice. Incredible. So definitely 1030, right? You got to wake up a little bit. All right, so... What's your favorite thing about the pool? You can answer. Yeah. Yeah, swimming, of course. Yes, jumping off the diving board, and might I add, diving for rings underneath. That's an excellent use of the pool. Uh, 10 out of 10, would recommend on Yelp. So if you had to choose, kids, between the deep or the shallow end, which one would you choose? All right, deep end, raise your hand. Where are my people at? That's right. You have chosen the better portion. <laughs> if, you, if you like the shallow end more, raise your hand. All right, there's a few. Right? Jeff likes the shallow end. He carries more weight than me anyways, so 
his, his vote matters more. All right, so I remember when I was growing up, uh, I would use the slope that divided effectively the shallow end from the deep end to be able to tell uh, just, how, just how deep into the deep end I could go before I was in trouble. And if you can see me, you, you will know that as a small child, um, that, that wasn't that far on the slope, right? It was, uh, it was pretty, pretty, pretty apparent that I couldn't go very far. But I would use my foot, right? You would put it on the slope. You'd try and figure out, all right, just how far can I go so that I can remain cool without being just complete, completely underwater? Effectively, I was using my foot as a gauge to tell what was safe, what was not safe. And in many ways, um, we need gauges to determine how we're doing in our walks with the Lord. We need things that we can look to as we look to the Lord to help us understand if what we're doing, um, if the way that we're living our lives is a, is a way that glorifies the Lord. Now, kids, if you're unfamiliar with what a gauge is, it's not really a foot. A foot's not so much a gauge. A gauge is a tool that is used to measure something. A lot of times it's uh, used to measure air pressure or something like that. It's a tool. Throughout Hebrews 11, it's where we've been over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this theme of faith. Hebrews 11 is all about faith, and we've looked at faith on, in a number of ways from a number of people. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the person of Abraham to learn some things about faith. Now, whenever we think about Abraham, we tend to think about Abraham and faith as it relates to the promise of Isaac. All right? The, the Bible um, is, is pretty savage when it talks about Abraham and Isaac. It says, when Abraham was basically as good as dead, that's when Isaac was born. All right? But today we're looking at Abraham's faith, not as it relates to Isaac, but as it relates to his journey to the promised land. It's, oftentimes that's not what we focus on when we focus on the faith of Abraham. And what it shows is that Abraham's life was a life characterized by faith, not just with respect to Isaac, but with respect to the way that he conducted his life as he made moves and as he journeyed. And that's really what we're going to focus on today. How does faith interact with the moves that we make in life, whether those be moves related to jobs, children, relationships, schools? We all have moves that we have to make. We all have journeys that are unique to us. And how can we tell if we are approaching our journeys, our moves, by faith. And what I want to submit to you is that Abraham serves as an example of someone whose life was characterized by faith. It wasn't perfect, but he was a man truly of faith. And specifically, that there were certain markers of his faith as he moved and as he journeyed that can serve as gauges for us. In fact, I think there are four gauges. Our text today is Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. And I think in this passage, God gives us four gauges or four metrics, four ways to tell if we are approaching our moves, our journeys by faith. So Hebrews chapter 11, what four gauges does it have for us? What is God trying to show us about measuring our moves by faith? Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to, to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So right away we can tell 
that at the forefront of this passage is, is Abraham on his journey of faith. Now, Hebrews 11, as we said, is a chapter that deals with faith. A lot of people call it the hall of faith. And uh, shockingly, uh, 11 falls in between 10 and 12. And so at the end of 10, uh, there's sort of a culmination of sorts from the entire book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is the true and better X, Y, and Z. He's the true and better high priest. He provides and institutes a true and better covenant, the new covenant. And in many ways, that, that this argument culminates in chapter 10 at the very end where it says that Christ himself is going to return and therefore you need to have faith. Now, the beginning of chapter 12 is the call to run the, run the race of faith with endurance to set aside all of the things that entangle us, that keep us from running in obedience. And chapter 11 is the bridge, you might even say it's the fuel that allows us to continue in obedience faithfully as we await the return of Jesus. That is, faith is the fuel that allows us to keep following in obedience as we await Christ's return. By faith. Verse 8 highlights this because it reintroduces a common refrain throughout chapter 11. It starts with the words, by faith. If we would live a life Truly that honors God. It's one that's by faith. Now, what about Abraham's faith allows us to gauge if the moves that we are making are moves of faith? It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, the main verb in the first half of verse 8 is the word obeyed. It's where the weight of the passage lands. That at the forefront of the author of Hebrews' mind, is the obedience of Abraham as it, as it comes out of his faith. That is, his faith was the fuel. It was the motivating uh, emotion. It was the motivating mindset that drove his obedience. And specifically, he was obeying a call, and a specific call. That call was to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And in the second half, we get the second main verb says, and he went out. The call was to go, and so he went. And it comports well with what we saw earlier in Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. It says, now the Lord said to Abram at the time in the passage, Abraham had not yet been given the name Abraham. He was still Abram at that point. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has made this amazing promise, and he's given Abram a call. So how is Abram going to respond? Verse 4. So Abram went. How? As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham, or Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Notice the simplicity of the way that the author of Hebrews and Moses in Genesis portrays Abraham's faith and obedience. At God's call to go out, there's no noted debate, there's no noted questions. They may have been present, but the authors, they're not trying to show that. They're trying to show that whenever Abraham was called, he specifically listened, and the text is concise, it is clear, and Abraham's obedience was full. 
He listened simply to God's call. The specific of God's call to go out, he followed in obedience. And that leads us to our first gauge. By faith we move in obedience, not disobedience. By faith we move in obedience, not disobedience. If we would judge our moves, if we would try to evaluate our moves to see if they are by faith, then one critical component has to be obedience. Now, kids, uh, when it comes to the pool, right, just buckle up. There's going to be pool metaphors all day long. <laughs> Lots of material. You can dive right into them, swim around a bit. Anybody got any other good ones? Any other puns? No? So <clears throat> when it comes to the pool, right, if you're parents, most of us here, we don't have our own pools. Uh, and so if, if we don't have our own pools, in order for us to get to a pool, we have to hop in the car, or we have to walk to a friend's house, or so on and so forth. We've got to go to the KC pool. Now, kids, if your parents say, in 15 minutes, we're going to go to the pool, we're going to have a great time, um, how in the world can I tell if you believe what your parents say? What are you going to have to do? What are some things? Yeah. Exactly. You're going to have to put your swimsuit on, and then whenever they say, all right, it's time to go, what are you going to have to get in in order to get there? That's right, man. Two for two. Excellent. You have to actually put your swimming suit on. You have to actually get into the car in order for you to be able to get there. And the point of faith is not that we are saved by faith, but it's that what we do proves what it is that we believe. What it is that we believe deep down in our cores, what we truly believe with all of our hearts, the only way that we can actually tell what it is that we believe is if we look at our actions, and if those actions fall in line with what we say we believe. By faith, we move in obedience, not disobedience. This isn't work salvation, but it is to say that that which we believe impacts our actions. And Abraham, he believed by faith. That was his motivation, his faith. And so he acted and followed in obedience. If we would claim to believe, we must follow in obedience. In whatever sphere it is that we would move, whether that be a job, if we're taking a job just for money, is that a good indication that we're, we're submitting that to the Lord in faith? If we think about our children and how many that we should have, are we submitting that number to the Lord? Or are we approaching that with a convenience mindset? I'm not saying you need to have 12 children. Oh, that would be very biblical. What I am saying is that if we would believe, we must to some degree submit, not to some degree, fully submit our belief to obedience. When it comes to our relationships, do we date in a way that shows that we believe when God calls us to holiness and purity and all of the things that make for great relationships? Do we believe that by following in obedience or do we choose expediency? Self-gratification. If we would say that we believe, if we would judge our moves, they must fall in accordance with obeying what the Lord has said in his word. That's how we know. But that's not the only way that we know. If we look at the circumstances of Abraham's belief, we'll find a few things that show us that not only did he believe in just giving sort of a bare-bones belief, but that these circumstances further prove that he actually believed what God said when God said it. Go on to the uh, second half of verse 8. It says, and he went out. Now note this phrase. 
not knowing where he was going. Furthermore, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, notice these elements. Whenever Abraham went out, notice the circumstances. It says that he went out not knowing where he was going. See, the circumstances surrounding Abraham's obedience that came forward from his belief were ignorance. He didn't know something. He didn't know where he was actually supposed to go. He was ignorant of his destination. And yet, verse 9, says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise. And that's the second element, this idea of promise. He was ignorant, yes, of his destination, but he was not ignorant of God's voice and his promise. Ignorant of the destination, not ignorant of God's voice. Once again, this comports well with Genesis chapter 12. If we go back to the passage, Abraham follows simply in obedience. Let's pick up in verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. See, Abram set out, he set out to the land of Canaan, but when we look at Hebrews 11 and when we look at the text here in verse 7 of Genesis 12, we find that Abraham had actually no idea where that destination was actually going to be. So he went to Canaan, but he had no idea that that land was actually going to be his. He was trusting that God had promised him something and that as he moved, God would fulfill that promise, which leads us to the second gauge. The second gauge of whether we're moving by faith or not is if we move according to promise, not sight. By faith, we move according to promise, not sight. See, the nature of faith is oftentimes whenever we see it, it ceases to be faith because it's realized. Now, Maybe a better way to say it would be something to the effect of the highest form of faith is when we follow in obedience without being able to see what it is that we're actually trying to accomplish. I'm thinking of Thomas here, right? Thomas, Jesus is resurrected. Thomas says, unless I see his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I will never believe. Jesus just kind of shows up. I got a side for you. I got some hands. Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God and Jesus, being so truthful and so gracious, says, do you now see and believe? Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. By faith we move according to promise, not sight. See, growing up sometimes there was this stigma around wanting to provide reasoning and rationale for the faith. And unfortunately, that sometimes carried the day and a lot of people's faith, uh, faiths were hurt as a result of that. Um, go out, bolster your understanding of the faith, do, do the apologetics, arguments, all that stuff. That's all great. But if we're not careful, we will so want an exact answer and an exact knowledge of where we're supposed to go that we effectively try to redefine faith into something that we trust not because it comes from God's voice, but because we can see the end result of what it is that we want. When we operate according to promise 
as opposed to sight, we're effectively saying our object of faith is not what it is that we can see. It's not a circumstance that we can control. It truly is the Lord himself. He is the object of our faith. Kids, I can think of another example from the pool. Another example from the pool of where we operate according to promise, not sight. Now, I remember Miss Sylvia, she had the pool. Um, We would hang out with her and her grandsons quite a bit. It was about 100 yards down from wherever we lived. And we lived on a circle, so if you got towards the end of where the circle started and you peeled off to the left, that was her house. And in her backyard, she had just an awesome pool. It was so great, and it had snacks, which is all you need to make friends with me. Um, And I think maybe children generally. Um, And so we would go there and we'd hang out. And oftentimes, you know, my mom would say, all right, kids, we're going to go in 30 minutes to the pool. So put your sunscreen on. You got to let it soak in, especially early on in the summer. Um, And so what would happen is if you were looking from the outside and you had no context, you would think that there were a bunch of insane people in that house. Because inside of a dark house where no sunlight can be seen, in which the backyard has no, very much so does not have a pool. You're just watching people put sunscreen on inside. You can't see a pool. There's no, there, there's no idea that you could go out and actually go swimming or something. And yet we were operating not according to what we could see, especially the first time, not according to what we could see, but we were operating according to this promise that our parents had made us. Yes, we can't see the pool. We can't see that great diving board. But we know that whenever they promise us something, they follow through on it. So even though we can't see it, we're going to act in accordance with that. So when it comes to making our moves by faith, following in obedience, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is as we're making these moves, as we're contemplating them, if every single time we demand to know exactly where it is that we're going to end up, that 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 makes our obedience dependent. If our obedience depends on seeing exactly where we're going to go, are we really operating by faith? Truly, are we really operating by faith? And in fact, most of us know that that's not really even the way that life works most of the time. You make plans, and you do your best, and you try and follow the Lord, but we don't really even know what the Lord has for us. But he wants us to trust his voice. He wants us to follow him in obedience because what it is that we believe, first and foremost, is what he promises rather than what it is that we can see. This is difficult. And that brings us to our third gauge, this idea of difficulty. Abraham, verse 9, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, Abraham's journey was a difficult one. He was living in an established city. He was living in Ur. We find this from the, from the end of uh, Genesis chapter 11. He was living in Ur. He had acquired some wealth. He had family there, likely a community. And yet he was called to leave that behind. And in fact, what we'll see here in a second is he was likely a worshiper of pagan gods. And he was called to leave that behind. His call to journey forward was difficult. It cost him something. It wasn't just that he had to leave his city. It says, he went to live in the land of promise. Now, that word there, went to live, that translation is a little bit tame. It's this idea of him being a sojourner. When he went to Canaan, he did not go to Canaan effectively as a permanent resident. 
To sojourn means to live somewhere, not as a permanent resident, but as some sort of temporary resident. So he effectively was living in this land as an exile. He didn't have a permanent home. This is seen furthermore in the phrase, as in a foreign land. He was an alien. He was, he was a foreigner. He, this wasn't his, his, his community as, he, as it was in Ur. He also lived in tents. And whenever you see this phrase, lived in tents, when you compare that, to, to verse 10 where it says he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, that further highlights the, the difficult nature of his journey. That at every step of the way, Abraham was journeying, he was journeying into something that was not fully realized. He was journeying into a promise that was never fully realized in his lifetime. Even if you look at the promise in Genesis 12, the promise wasn't, I'm going to give you this land, it's, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And every day that he woke up in this tent was another day that he did not wake up into the city with that firm foundation that he was looking forward to. And what that means is that the life that Abraham lived was not one of ease and comfort. We know that from the rest of the story. It was one of difficulty. When he decided to make that move of obedience according to promise, not sight, it was not an easy choice. It was not an easy journey. It was hard. It was difficult. Which leads us to our third gauge. By faith we move in the difficult. By faith we move in the difficult. Kids, whenever you're learning how to swim, difficulty relates to um, faith even at the pool as well. All right? One of the things that you, uh, most of you probably had to do whenever you were learning how to swim is your parents would blow up those floaties. They'd put them on your arms and it would rip like three layers of skin off. Right? Anyone, anybody, anybody remember that? So you put the floaties on, and then a lot of times your parents would sit in the shallow end, and they would say, what? they do this, and what did they say? Jump. Right, jump in the pool. And you had a choice right then. Are you going to trust your parents? Are you going to trust in the floaties? Or are you going to be like, you know, I kind of know what this area does right here. I don't really know what this, I don't know what these things do, and I'm not happy about having my skin torn off. So I'm just going to stay here. Or you can choose to jump into the pool. And the reality is the first time, a lot of times we think about it from the, from the time of the fifth, or from the perspective of the fifth time we jump into the pool, where you've done it a few times. But that's not the test of, of real faith. The test is that first time when you don't know what's going to happen, where you're afraid, when it's difficult, and yet you still jump. Why? Because you trust, you trust in the voice of your parents. Even though it's difficult, you may have an idea of what's going to happen, but you don't totally know. You still trust them. And so you listen in obedience, and you trust them, and you jump. Whenever we think about the moves that we make in our lives, whether it's children, jobs, schools, so on and so forth, one of the ways that we gauge if we're moving by faith is, yes, if we obey, and yes, if it's according to promise, but Perhaps one of the biggest ones is if that obedience is difficult. Most of the time, whenever we do something easy, it doesn't require a lot of faith. Because when something's easy, we've gained some sort of mastery over it, or we've become familiar with it, comfortable with it. It's whenever it's difficult that we can begin to be able to gauge whether or not, it is, whether or not we truly trust what God has commanded us. By faith, we move in the difficult. Which leads us to our last gauge, and it's the one that ties all of them together. By faith, 
we move towards God in his better city. By faith, we move towards God in his better city. Verse 10, why was it that Abraham was willing to move in obedience according to promise in the midst of the difficult? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The reason why Abraham was able to make all of these moves The reason why he was able to journey is because he believed that when God promised him something, that that promise was truly better. The idea of it being better is is highlighted by the nature of the tent. He's living in a tent. It doesn't have a foundation. It's not his home. He's a sojourner. And by God's grace, somehow he was able to envision this city that was sure, that was firm, that was better. I'm thinking of the New Jerusalem in Revelation Somehow, by God's grace, he was able to envision that. And that was such a compelling promise that he was willing, willing to move away from family. He was willing to move away from community. He was willing to move away from all of the things that provided comfort. He was willing to move away from his old way of living and all of the dirt and the filth that came from living in a tent was in his mind worth it because the city that God had promised was better. God's promises were better. He believed they were better. And the reason why they were better is because the promises that were made were made by the God who was better. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. One of the things that many of us may not realize is that Abraham was likely a pagan for a long time. He lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, a city, Mesopotamia. And the city was just a pagan city. Right? Believe in a bunch of different gods. They worshipped in particular the moon god, Seen. They were really into waxing and waning and crescents and gibbuses. And yet what happened, if you look at the text, verse 8, it says that he obeyed when God called him. In Joshua 24, we find a really interesting passage. Verse 2. And it speaks to the spiritual state of Abraham at the time of his calling. Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. At God's call, at his taking, Abraham not only believed that God's city was better, not only did he believe that God was better, but he believed that God was better specifically than all of the other competing gods. It is the Lord who is God, not these other ones. Not the moon God, not the sun God, not the God of making your crops grow. It was the Lord. God is the one that ties all of this together. He's the one that makes sense of moving by faith and obedience according to promise in the midst of the difficult. Why? Because he himself is better. And the things, therefore, that he promises are better. This theme of pool has a common thread running throughout it. It's the voice of your parents. You're willing to get into the car, put the sunscreen on, put your swimsuit on, jump into the pool because of the voice of your parents, because you believe that what they tell you is better than the fear that's in your own heart. Imagine for a second that in March, your parents, they promise you, they, they promise to take you to that true and greater city of Hurricane Harbor 
right? Nice. Filled with, you know, band-aids and a wave pool and a lazy river that you just don't want to know what's going on in there, right? They make you this promise, and it's in the middle of March, and a month passes and two months pass, and it, it, feel, it begins to feel like Christmas season, right? When you hit December, time just slows down. You're waiting for your presence. In the same way, that's kind of what that promise would feel like. It hasn't, it hasn't been realized yet. Your parents have made you a promise. Going to Hurricane Harbor is definitely better than just going to the pool. It feels like it's never going to happen. Now, you're going to be tempted at that point to maybe listen to your friends. Maybe they've heard about your promise, and they'll say, ah, oh, you, it's not going to happen. Why don't you come over to my pool instead? It's going to be greater. Or perhaps you just start to listen to a voice inside of you that says, well, my parents are never going to take me. So maybe you begin to resent them. But it's only if you truly believe that what they promise you, that you will be able to experience that which is better. And the only way that you are able to believe that what they promise you is better is if you believe that their voice is better. By faith, we move towards God and his better city. Four gauges, obedience, sight, difficulty, and God. Four gauges, four ways to ask ourselves this question. Am I moving by faith? Are the moves that I'm making in my life, are the journeys that I'm undertaking, are they being undertaken in a spirit of faith or not? If our obedience is contingent upon whether we can see something or not, which is, of course, related to the the difficulty of that thing, Perhaps we need to submit our decisions more towards the Lord and obedience. I know that I, I, I have to do that. I, I'm going through some of these moves myself. Perhaps you're in the midst of a move today. Once again, it could be job, school, family, what have you. You know what it is. I want to challenge you to run that move through the grid of obedience, promise, difficulty, and God. When we place our faith, we're not placing our faith in an ethical ideal or in some version of just like a better life. We're placing it in a person, in the Lord God, as Abraham did. You may not be in the midst of a move today. You may uh, just kind of be in a, in a holding pattern. One day a move will come. And it might benefit all of us to have little post-it notes where we just put obedience, promise, difficulty, God, put them up on our mirror to remind us that when it comes time to make a move, God wants us to make moves as Abraham did. And perhaps some of you guys have never believed in the Lord, right? You may not be worshiping seeing the moon, God, but you've never come to faith in Jesus. My plea to you today is that truly your heart would be captivated by God's call where you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins to have a relationship with the Father that leads ultimately into that, that heavenly city that Abraham saw. My plea to you is that you would believe today. Obedience, faith, sight, and difficulty. We're called to move by faith. We're called to look towards that better city whose architect and builder is God. And if we put our trust in him, we will not be put to shame. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that, once again, 
you have not left us to fumble around in the dark, but you've given us your word so that we can know you, know what you love, know what you desire. God, I pray that today your glory would be our heartbeat and that we would truly love you more than anything else, that we would obey you, that we would obey you even when we don't see and even when it's difficult because we know that your promises are good because you are good. Pray these things in your name. Amen.